y'all. Well, as you heard from our, our children's time, um, I kind of gave a prequel of our, of our sermon uh, to talk about heaven as, as a real place. And so kind of like we did, we thought about home. I didn't know they were going to say home, but I think that's a great analogy as we think about heaven as being a place. We talk about going home sometimes when someone goes there. Uh, but we think about, uh, I think the only reference point we have are the places that are meaningful to us when we think about a place uh, or heaven as a place. And so I've thought about uh, some of the places that were important to me as a child. And uh, I grew up on this, this dead-end road that had, I don't know, maybe 10 houses on it at, at the most, not very many, probably eight, uh, depending on when one was, a new one was built or one was torn down over the years. And I remember uh, one of the places in my grandmother's house that lived, she lived next door to us, uh, was this space that uh, they were remodeling her house, and she had this huge space that eventually was going to be turned into a closet, but it was not yet a closet, and so it was just cut out in the hallway. It was just this space there, uh, but it was kind of hidden enough where I could go in there, and it, I could fit in there. And, and just kind of sit in there, and I don't know why, I just claimed that as my space. And I would go, and I'd sit in there, and I'd bring little toys, and I'd play with them, or I'd bring books. Uh, sometimes I would fall asleep with a blanket in there, and that was, that was just my place. I called it my hiding place. And growing up on that dead-end road, I, I felt like, maybe you remember feeling like this as a kid, that kind of the whole neighborhood just belonged to you. You know, it was your place, it was your area, and what we had at the very end of our dead-end road was this stretch of woods, but it was very, it was not very wide. It was, it was long, but it was not very wide, and so it was not very dangerous because you could go out on either side, uh, but you could also, you could go for a long ways in it, and so we would spend, uh, the kids that lived on my road with me would spend hours in there, and our parents didn't worry because it's not like we were going to get lost. If we got tangled up, we'd just walk out one of the sides, and we would play hide-and-seek, and we would play tag, and we would sit in the trees, and it was just our place. And then I had, I had a really, I was fortunate to have a really neat backyard growing up. I had a, a trampoline, and I was the only kid on the road with a trampoline. And that was the days before we had the nets around trampolines. We were not very smart. And uh, we would pile that trampoline full with six or eight kids. And we'd all jump on it. And only one kid broke their arm once. And so I, I can't believe that was the only injury we had growing up. But that was the place, the, the, the yard with the trampoline. And we also had a pretty neat swing set that was two stories and had a slide and a pole that you slid down. And... Uh, for, for most of the kids, if we were going to go play somewhere outside of the little woods area, we'd go to my backyard. That was the place. And I, I'm aware that as an adult, I probably look back on all those places with rose-colored glasses. Because that's how it is when you're a kid. You look at those places and they're really special to you. And you get older and you think, well, probably not as neat as I remember it. But uh, you just they're, they're special to you. And so you look back on them fondly. And every time we go home to visit my family, if we pass by that road that I lived down growing up, I will take the car down that road and, and show the kids and Michelle for the hundredth time, well, this is where daddy lived growing up, and this is where his grandmother lived, and we'll go to the end of the road, and this is where my best friend Justin lived, and uh, well, there was, a, there was a house here, but it's not there anymore, and I'll tell them all the things that have changed about the road, and they just roll their eyes and they say, Dad, we know you've told us about this over and over. And 
I know I've told them about that. I'm not really telling them about that for them. I just like to hear, I just like to talk about it, right? And so we do that. And, and it's special. It's special to me because it was my place, but it's not theirs. But growing up in, in Gatesville, my kids have, have gotten some of their own places. When we first moved into our house, we planted some trees in the front yard, and they have just gotten to the point to where they can hold the weight of, of a seven-year-old pretty, pretty well. And so I'll look out, and, and Emily will be just kind of sitting in, those, in one of the branches of our, of our still fairly small trees, but big enough to support her. Or, or she'll be helping Luke climb in it, and that's just one of their places. They'll just sit out in those trees sometimes. And they love the parks here in, in Gatesville. Uh, and we have some pretty neat memories. Once uh, Emily and I rescued a turtle. It had rained really hard, kind of like it's been doing lately. It was in the spring, and, and there was a turtle. My dog was barking at this huge, I thought it was a rock, and I just thought he'd lost his mind. Why is my dog barking at a big rock? And uh, upon further examination, it was a turtle. And so we brought the turtle out to Fauntleroy, and we released it. And we have pictures of that, and that's a neat little memory we have. And they love to go out there and throw rocks in the Leon River. And it's just one of their places. Outside of Gatesville, they like to go to their uh, aunt's house and, and they'll spend time with their cousins and we have joint birthday parties and they have sleepovers and it's just one of their places. According to the Bible, heaven is an actual place. It's not this alternate existence. It's not something that's just in our heads. It, it really exists. But it's difficult to talk about it, especially with kids, because they want to know, well, do you drive there? I mean, I remember them asking me that once when we were talking about my grandfather being, he being in heaven. Well, but did he get in his car and go there? I mean, how does that work? And, and so it is a, a difficult to have a reference point to talk about it as a place, but the Bible speaks of heaven as being localized to a real place. And I'm going to be in some scriptures this morning that are printed in your bulletin. If you want to mark your finger there, you can. And as long as the screen works, I'm assuming they're going to be on the screen too. So uh, we will go with, with that assumption. But I want to remind you as well, what I said last week as we talk about heaven together, is that this is not an attempt to tell you everything there is to know about heaven, because I couldn't do that. And, and it's not really even an attempt to tell you all the stuff that uh, is not in the Bible about heaven, because I can't speak about that as an authority, because I preach from the Bible. Uh, so some of the stuff you'll probably hear this morning, you'll say, well, we kind of knew that. Well, I figured that. Well, that's because, you know, what the Bible tells us about heaven is, is not expansive, and we know a lot of it. And so if you hear me saying, well, you're repeating a bunch of stuff that I already know, just know that it's because I'm trying not to say any more or any less than what we can know for sure from Scripture. And I think the most starting, the most obvious starting point when, we talk, when we're talking about the place of heaven is that it is the place where God, as far as we can tell, physically resides in his most pure form. And we know we, God manifests himself everywhere, but heaven seems to be this place where God is in his, in his purest form. If you look at Acts chapter 1 with me. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 9 to 11. This is when Jesus is ascended into heaven. After he said this, he was taking up, taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were, looking up, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. 
Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so there are lots of places from the Bible where we could talk about heaven. But I think this one is important because we actually see Jesus going there. Now, in the Old Testament, the Psalms talk about the heavens, plural. And, and often, you know, when you, when you look at those Old Testament references that talk about the heavens, it's talking about more or less the sky, the, the heavenly bodies, as sort of the space that's above. And so we've assumed because of that, when we think about heaven as a location, well, heaven is up, right? Heaven is up, hell is below. That's just kind of the general idea. But when it talks about the heavens sort of being up here, it's not really concerned about talking about it as a place in those texts in the Psalms and things like that, as much as it is concerned about telling you that the God that they worshiped is the God of everything, all the heavens, all the heavenly bodies, and all that's out there. And so in the Old Testament, there was not a reference point for the location of what we understand to be heaven. But here in this text that we just read and, and what is the ascension, when Jesus goes back to heaven following his resurrection, we, we get this glimpse of it as being this real place. It just tells us in verse 9, Jesus was, was taken up. And we wish there were more details into what he, was, what he looked like and how that happened, but it just says he was taken up. And then in the same way that in the Old Testament, often, often God's appearance is accompanied by some sort of physical barrier to, to shield people from God's purest form, it says a cloud covered him. Remember the cloud that covered the temple? Remember when, 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 when uh, Moses asked to see God's glory, he says, you can't see me in my purest form, but you can see the, the backside of me. And so you see this very similar thing happening with Jesus because he's, it's showing that he's God and he's going back to the Father. He's going back to this place that we call heaven. And then they hear this voice in verse 11, this same Jesus will come back to you in the same way that you saw him go in to heaven. In other words, for the disciples now, heaven is no longer this mysterious place that is somewhere out there and God reigns out above. It's, it's a place Jesus went to and a Jesus, Jesus is going to come back from. And you can appreciate, I think you can appreciate how their perspective changed based on how we understand places and locations and people. Those of you who are teachers, you ever see a student in the grocery store and they just flip out? It's like they've seen a celebrity even though they see you every day. Ah, it's my teacher. Emily does that and it's like, well, you see her every day. My, my goodness, why is it such a big deal? You don't flip out when you see me when you get home. I mean, come on. It's not so much the, the person as much as they're seeing them in a different location. I saw uh, one, one time someone had come and visited our church, and then I saw them in the middle of the week uh, at, a, at a restaurant, and, and I just couldn't place them immediately, and they kept staring at me, and I kept staring at them, and then as, as I get up to walk by and pass them, it just kind of hits us both at the same time, and we go, oh yeah, you're, you're Pastor Matt, and we, we talked for a minute, and we didn't look that different. I mean, I wasn't in Sunday clothes, and neither were they, but uh, the, the difference was that we were in a different location, and that changed our perspective. And so when the place Jesus inhabits goes from earth to heaven, to the disciples, heaven becomes this real thing. It becomes a real possibility, a real location. 
The place of heaven is also, because of that, we know, we talk about it as being a place that Christians go to after they die. It's, we talk about going to heaven, being with Jesus. I'm going to turn a few pages over in Scripture to Acts chapter 7. And this is the first incident in Acts of someone actually going to heaven. Seven, uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. This is uh, the stoning of Stephen. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I think it's commonly accepted among most of us today that heaven is where you go when you die. But I, I, I want to bring this part up because it's, because it's not always been that way. In, in Scripture, people have not always assumed that. And then the other side is that sometimes heaven is like this fairy tale idea. We're not often sure that it's a real place, or people that aren't believers aren't sure that it's this real physical place. And so it's, it's kind of up there and out there. But I think the story of Stephen shows us that both those things, uh, it, adds, it adds some flesh to it, adds some meat to both of those things. It shows us uh, that someone actually goes there. And I think in Scripture, this is probably the first time that someone goes and, you know, other than the Gospels, it talks about there are some vague references to paradise and things like that. But this is the very first explicit reference of someone going and being with Jesus after they die. And so we see that. We see that assurance. Now, Stephen's initial vision, the first thing that he sees is a confirmation of what we already read at the beginning of the book of Acts, that, that Jesus ascended into heaven, and it says that he saw Jesus there, and he was with the Father, and so it's saying that hey, Jesus is there. It's this real place. And then we see Stephen's words, and they echo Jesus is on the cross, don't they? Forgive them, Father, and, and Lord, receive my spirit. And if we weren't certain... If we didn't know that that's where Jesus was when he says, Lord, receive my spirit, that would seem like a strange reference, would it? Well, where's he going? How's he going to receive his spirit? Well, we know where he's at. He's with Jesus. In a sense, heaven is just like this big kind of after party, I guess. We think about it in that way. I remember in high school when we would go somewhere, we'd go to a movie or we'd go to a concert or something like that. We would, the after party would always be at Waffle House. And, and I love Central Texas, but there's not enough Waffle Houses. It's the only thing I don't like about it. That's always where we would end up. And, and sometimes we would have more fun at Waffle House than we would at wherever we were uh, set out to go originally, just hanging out and eating greasy, nasty food. And uh, so I read this story in December. This was 2017. A guy goes to Waffle House at 2 in the morning. I don't know what he'd been doing, but he was, I guess, uh, was hungry. And, and it was so late that, that the only person, there was one worker there, uh, and they'd fallen asleep. And they were sitting behind the counter and they were just kind of had their arm. Because you know how, you know, if, if you've ever been into a Waffle House, you see them cook on the other side. All that is just right there. And, and, and the worker is asleep. And so he waits and he waits and he waits. And, and finally the guy, he just took matters into his own hands. And he'd been to Waffle House so many times, he, he walked across the counter and he made his own food. He was having one of those huge 
uh, Texas bacon double cheesesteak melts or something. And so he made a sandwich and he flipped his hash browns and he documented it on his phone and he, re he put it out on social media. And, and Waffle House responded to his post and, and they said, while we, while we applaud your efforts at making your own food, uh, we don't recommend that all customers do this. But I mean, what, what an amazing thing to do. And, and I think sometimes we get this idea that heaven is, is kind of like that. It's like up there and it's kind of a sleepy place and we have to make the best of it maybe. And, you know, but I don't think that's the way the Bible portrays it. It portrays us at this place that, that is, it's there for us. It's waiting for us. And it's kind of is like the after party. And it's, it's, it's a great place. But the last thing I want to really hit on from Scripture is that for all those things that heaven all the things that heaven is, all the things that, it, that, it, that is good about it. Heaven is also in itself a place of waiting. Now, maybe you're wondering, what do you mean? What do you mean heaven is a place of waiting? I'm waiting to get to heaven. How is heaven a place of waiting? Well, I'll, I'll get to that, but I don't, don't, don't get mad at me, okay? Uh, because not all waiting is bad. And, and I want to dispel that idea first before I explain what I mean. Not all waiting is bad. Now, if you go to the DMV, that kind of waiting is not very fun. If you go to, uh, you know, some, depending on what's wrong with you, the doctor's office, that might not be the fun kind of waiting. But, and I know I've used this analogy this before, but it's just one of my favorites. If you go to a Mexican food restaurant and you're waiting for your food, you're going to get chips and salsa. That's like the best kind of waiting I can think of. In fact, if I'm going to go to a Mexican restaurant and I don't have the waiting with the chips and salsa, it's not really a complete experience, is it? You want that part. That's part of it. Or if you go on a vacation and, and you're sitting in your hotel room, there's some, you know, you're waiting to go out to whatever you're going to do, whatever is going on in your vacation. But waiting in the hotel room is not all that bad, is it? Because it's part of your vacation. It's part of the experience. And so you don't mind it a whole lot. Now, I'm not comparing heaven to Mexican food or a vacation, but I do hope that Mexican food is in heaven. But I want you to read what Paul says about heaven and waiting in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. I'm just going to read a couple verses. He says, But our citizenship, and this is part of what EJ read, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. And so when Paul speaks about waiting in this passage, he doesn't do so in the way that you might expect. In the way that we talk about waiting sometimes, I'm waiting to go to heaven, or we'll talk about someone that's really sick, and oh, they're just waiting to go home. He's talking about waiting on something from heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're waiting on Jesus from heaven. But the implication is also that heaven is waiting for that to happen as well. For, for Jesus to return, for, for him to set all things right. And so in his analogy, his, his citizenship, our citizenship being in heaven, he's speaking into a Greek mindset that saw your citizenship being intimately connected with your behavior. Because it was tied with whatever city it was, you, you, whatever there was about you, you kind of just put under whatever there was about the city. And you subsumed all your needs and wants and took on the identity of your city. That's what you did. And so he's saying the city for you is not where you're living. The city for you is, is, is actually heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see the difference? I know many of you have served our country in, in various capacities. And, 
uh, I, I know that you did this. Uh, you gave your, uh, a short time or a long time or however much time it was, maybe a few years, maybe your whole career to a, to a branch of the armed service. Not so that at the end of that time you could say, well, now I want to be a part of, of this country. No, you did it because you are a part of this country. You did it because you value the things that our country values, individual freedom and the pursuit of happiness, and, and, and you wanted to defend that. And so you did that because you are a citizen right now, and you wanted to, to defend that. Likewise, Paul says, heaven isn't something that you wait to be a part of. It's something that you are a part of right now. And he says in verse 21, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, Jesus will transform our bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. That's what we're waiting for as we think about our citizenship being in heaven. And so he says, heaven is not what you are waiting for. The resurrection is what you are waiting for. And even heaven is waiting for that moment. So what does all this mean for us? Now we've talked just the main points about heaven. What, what, what does it mean for us? What, since heaven is, is, is this place where God is, we should think about it with a sense of anticipation. I mean, we should be excited about it. We should really think about it. We should talk about it. We should tell our kids about it. Have you noticed sometimes we don't really talk about heaven unless something bad happens? You know, someone passes away. Well, so-and-so went to go be with Jesus. And, well, they're going to be in heaven. And your kid says, well, what's heaven? We never talked about that. I don't even know what that is. Well, because we don't talk about it sometimes unless something bad happens. You think about uh, the things that are important to you. Think about your, your 401k. Those of you that are planning for retirement or, or maybe you just retired. Is that something that you thought about often? You think about how much is in there? You think about your assets? You, you probably do because you're planning at some point to, to need those things. You believe that you're going to need those things. And so you think about it. You talk about it. You plan on it. It's a real thing. And then I think because heaven really is a place where Christians go to, where they're received after death, it should give us a confidence in living the lives that we have now. It's, it's not like, sometimes we think of heaven, I think, as this consolation prize, you know. It's like, well, you ever, I know you've heard someone say this, well, at least, at least they're not having any suffering and pain anymore. Well, what do we mean, at, at least? At least? Like, that's, that's the smallest thing that they're in heaven now? Like, it's... Well, at least they're there and they're not here. And what's well, not? At least that's the greatest thing. That's the amazing thing. Remember the old uh, song? This is, I think, a 90s country song. Prop me up beside the jukebox if I die. Lord, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go tonight. And if that is your, if that's your mindset about heaven, is this consolation prize? It's well, it's out there, and I don't really want to go there. Uh, or maybe I'll go there one day. Uh, it is not going to influence the way that you live your life at all. It's just this thing that's out there. It's just this consolation prize. But if we live our lives as citizens of heaven now, then we should have this confidence that, that if God can reserve a place for us, that is that wonderful. That even in the midst of difficulties at work, and even in the midst of figuring out family issues, in the midst of loving our neighbors, we don't have to avoid the difficult things in life because we know ultimately where our life is headed. And then because heaven is really a place that is waiting for God to make everything right, here's, I think, the thing that we all need to hear, especially those of us who have been Christians for a long time, is don't make heaven your goal. Heaven is not the goal of being a Christian. 
Now, don't you find it interesting when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, hey, y'all want to go to heaven? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, y'all want to go to heaven? No, he said, hey, come and follow me. That was the invitation that we have. It's the invitation he gave them. And we know that heaven is not Jesus' goal because he's going to come back, right? He's going to come back. He's going to join heaven and earth at the end, and he's going to set all things right. That's his goal, to make creation new once again. And that means that our concern as believers when it comes to telling people about Christ and evangelism, it's not, well, hey, who can we get to go to heaven? Who can we invite to church? That's how we've talked about it sometimes in the past. Who can we invite? We get them saved so they can go to heaven. That's, that's one ounce of our concern. But the other is, is, is how can we help people, if they know they're going to go to heaven, how can we help ourselves and one another to be the people that God is shaping us to be as citizens of heaven in our world? There's a blogger named Mark, Martin Hughes. And, and he was a Christian, but then he became an atheist. And one of the interesting things I found about what he wrote or what he's written is that he, he does not miss belief in God. He does not miss belief in hell. But he says, I miss believing in a heaven. But he said, if I believed in a heaven, it would be different. He said, if I believed in a heaven, it would be exactly like I want it to be. And he said, I would understand everything about it. And he said, it would have, uh, there would be a deep, rich happiness that feels like mom's sweet potato pie on Thanksgiving. It's nice to think about all the places that we like and all the things that we enjoy, like our home and Disney World. But, but if heaven is your goal and it devolves into just that then you know, your view of heaven is not very different than that of an atheist. And if that's what we think about heaven, I mean, my goodness, we're not really thinking about a place that's real if it's all about us and centered on us and escaping our world. Heaven is a real place. But the Bible says heaven is a place that God has given us to live toward, not to live for. I pray you'd help us to do that. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for heaven. We thank you for all the things about it that we can look forward to. And God, as we do so, help it not to be just centered on us or just centered on our pleasure or just what we want. Help it to be something that points us back to you, to your ultimate plan to redeem our whole world. God, help that to be our goal. Help that to be our desire. and Help that to be our vision as we think about eternity with you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.